That was fun. Thank you, Isabel, for that suggestion. Hey, welcome. Merry Christmas. Welcome to the Gathering of Recreate Church. And John, as you repeated our our core, our heart here, you didn't steal not one tiny bit of my thunder. It's God's thunder. I wanted to let you to know that, uh, hey, I love it. See, this phrase, this welcome, wanted, love thing, we, we believe in that, okay? And we practice that. So we say it as many, work it in anytime you want. I need like a mug that says WWL and have to kind of explain what that means. But I want to let you know that no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. Doesn't mean we can maybe be do everything for everybody, but we're sure going to try. I'm excited about this Christmas Eve. One of my favorite um, poems from a Christmas is, well, maybe you can, like if I say the first line, I bet you can finish it. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not even a mouse. So glad about the, have you ever had mice, like a mouse problem? It's horrible. So that I've always objected somewhat to that part of it. Um, I love creative writing. It's something I do all the time. So I thought I might try my hand at um, like a modern version. Okay. So this is, this is Twas the Night Before a, a Modern Christmas. All right. So see what you think of this. <coughs> Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house. Not a moment for resting for me or my spouse. Empty Amazon boxes were piled up with care in hopes that FedEx soon would be there. The children were nestled with gadgets aglow, with socials and selfies and wishes for snow. My wife in a frenzy, and I wanted a nap, despite the last presents I needed to wrap. Expenses were hanging like ice on the roof, and my last check before Christmas was gone in a poof. Now it's off to the party, off from my quiet, to suffer the small talk and ruin my diet. Away to the fridge I flew like a flash for the casserole and jello and dishes that match. And what to my wondering eyes did appear? A photo of Christmas from a long ago year. Hung on the door as clear as the day. A shot of the kids' nativity play. One daughter was Mary, the other a sheep. My son was the baby in the manger asleep. With sudden conviction the truth hit me hard. The meaning of Christmas isn't presents or cards or parties or eating ham, turkey, and sweets or tinsel or Santa or lights in the streets. As quick as a wink, my mind was reframed. My heart was soon shifted to Christ's holy name, to Jesus, to angels, to Joseph and Mary, the babe in the manger, his, our sins he would carry. The heart of the season I did recall is the birthday of Jesus, the Savior of all. So I closed the fridge and gathered my kids and pulled my wife close and gave her a kiss and showed them the picture from so long ago when the true meaning of Christmas we seemed to know. Then we put down our phones and put on our smiles and drove to the in-laws about 15 miles. And all the way there we sang Christmas songs. And when we arrived, they all sang along. Not a line of white Christmas or Rudolph reindeer or chestnuts for roasting or yuletide cheer, nor Santa, nor presents, nor magic snowmen. We sang about Jesus with faces all glowing. Then we feasted, we laughed, we shared lots of joy and gave out a presence to each girl and boy. And while praising, all the while praising our God for the season, his gift of Jesus, the ultimate reason. As we said our goodbyes and piled in the car, our bellies were full and so were our hearts. I cried as we left and drove out of sight. Merry Christmas to all and to all a blessed night. Amen. So this is the time of year 
This is the time of year we think about what happened at Bethlehem. We commemorate how a young woman who had never known intimacy gave birth to a child like no other, the Son of God, born into the world. That's cause for celebration. But here we are. It's, it's not Christmas Day. It is the night before Christmas, the day before Christmas. So where was Jesus on the night before Christmas? Easy answer. He was in the womb of Mary. But then where was Jesus before he was in the womb of Mary? Oh, now that gets a lot more interesting. When did Jesus come into existence? We know it was, had to have been before Bethlehem. I, I think he was very much who himself in the womb. Uh, when did he come into existence? Was it when he was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit? Or is the answer something altogether more fascinating? And to get that answer, we're going to have to dive into a scripture that doesn't seem like a Christmas scripture. I read this one a few weeks ago. One of my favorites is John chapter chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And uh, it is got so much depth of who Jesus is and who Jesus was before the story as we know it began the origins of jesus so i'm going to read this and we'll pray for us and we're going to jump right in it gets a little deep so i know it's christmas i know you're probably you know all hyped up on sugar from all the treats katie this week um and diane and some more made like 1700 cookies and treats and like a third of those came to my house what's a third of 1700 that's like 566 is that right somebody check my math that's about right i think that's insanity why would you do that to me why would you do that no but they don't eat them so if someone says preacher's putting on a little weight it's the preacher's wife's fault and diane's and diane's fault she i think she's not here to defend herself yeah so Look, it, it's gonna, there's going to be depth here, I think, that's maybe like a little more than you're used to for Christmas, but you're going you're to enjoy it, all right? So let's read this, and we'll pray. First, or John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, And the darkness did not comprehend it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you'll anoint this time together. We want to know. We want to know about our Savior. We want to understand something of his background. We want to know what Jesus was up to long before Bethlehem. So we can praise him for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me clarify this before we go more deeply into the scriptures. uh, You'll see recurring again and again the phrase, the word. In context, this is talking about Jesus. Okay, you, you kind of read on further in chapter 1 into some of the verses we're not going to cover today. And it's abundantly clear, the Word is Jesus. So now with that in mind, I've got a Christmas present for you. This is six truths about Jesus before Bethlehem. If you're a note taker, it's going to be a good day for you. If you're not a note taker, uh, at least when I get to number six, like take a picture of the screen, okay, so you can pull that back up. So here we go. Number one, number one, Jesus was pre-existent. And I want to emphasize, I'm using the word was like past tense, but he's past, he's present, he's future. We can say was and is and is to come, and it all works the same. Jesus was pre-existent. 
The story of Jesus did not begin in a stable. It didn't even start in the womb. Jesus was there for the beginning, before the material universe, before time itself existed. We, we can't comprehend that. Before there was such a thing as time, infinitely before Bethlehem, before Genesis 1-1, before anything, Jesus was. In science class, Man, I love science. Wave at me, science nerds. Anybody love science? I love science so much. I do not believe that science is at all incompatible with faith. I believe that the two really are complementary to one another, and some of the greatest scientists who ever lived also believed in God very much. The idea of science, scientists um, being unbelieving, that's a real, relatively recent phenomenon, and it's not as popular as you might be led to think. So in science class, we learned the law of cause and effect. you remember this one? You know, you punch your brother, cause, he punches you back. Effect, right? Nobody, you didn't grow up with a brother? I grew, well, okay. If you didn't, ask someone, ask someone with a brother and they'll tell you. Um, if you had a cup of coffee this morning, I had three, so I'm all amped up, high on coffee and Jesus. If you had a cup of coffee this morning, that would be the, the effect, but there was a cause, right? Somebody made that coffee. And then there was a cause of that. Somebody purchased the coffee. Somebody invented a coffee maker. Somebody figured out that this weird bean water stuff is pretty good. Okay? So it's effect, and that, that effect had a cause. That cause had a cause. That cause had a cause. And on forward, on back until we finally get to some sort of an origin. Every effect has a cause. And that cause has its own cause. And that cause has its own cause. And so on and so forth. Seemingly forever, but it can't quite be forever. There must be some kind of a beginning. And if you, if you see a line of dominoes falling, I didn't know how to play dominoes when I was a kid, but I sure knew how to set them up and knock them down. You see a line of dominoes falling, you know that somewhere, sometime, somehow... There was a first domino that got knocked over. And it got knocked over by someone or something. Now, this idea that there's a cause back there that was not caused, that's an original cause, that didn't, didn't, that's not confined to like religious thinkers. You heard of Aristotle, famous, famous uh, guy. He was, you know, you got uh, Socrates, Plato, and then Aristotle, those three guys in a row. And um, they, he, he uh, described it like this. He said, so far up that chain of events and causes, there must be an original cause, a cause without its own cause. The thing that knocked over the first domino, right? Aristotle called it the prime mover. So John 1.1 gives us a little peek at the beginning. And the prime mover, the uncaused cause, the one who made the domino and pushed it over. And who is that? In the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? He's back there at the root of all things. Before anything, He's the uncaused cause, the prime mover. So that's number one, Jesus was preexistent. Will you help me with this, Alexis, the light thing? We've got a blinking red light. I don't know what it is. Um, it's, it's, it's to stop. Okay, I, okay, I, we're done, I guess, then. Okay, well, this is guy number one. Okay. Um, 
See the trick I've told I told Mike Hutchins this morning that the trick to all public speaking is to stop before they want you to stop. Okay, that's the trick of everything. If you've any got to, ever got to pre- give a presentation, stop when they still want a little more. Because if you wait till they're ready for you to stop, it's too long. But here's number two. We're going to keep it rolling along. Number two is Jesus was and is and continues to be God's ultimate message. <coughs> Once again. In this passage, we see the phrase, the Word, repeated over and over again. That is a reference to Jesus. The Word is the English translation of the New Testament Greek term logos. It means a message, an account, a decree, or a teaching. God has sent many messages, accounts, decrees, or teachings to the world. But He's only sent one living Word. Jesus is the message from God. The ultimate expression of God's truth. Of all the messages God has for you, the most central and important one is Jesus. God speaks through His Word, the Bible. But really, the message of His Word, the Bible, is meant to connect us with His Word, the living Word, Jesus. You can spend your whole life studying the Bible. But if you fail to know Jesus on a personal level, man, you have missed it. Look, thousands of colleges and universities teach Bible classes, and so many of them are taught by people who don't seem to really believe the Bible. They're Bible scholars. Boy, it bugs me. You ever watch like the History Channel, and they bring some Bible expert, and mostly what they say is how the Bible is not really saying what it's saying. That seems to be it. It's like, here's what the Bible says, but here's what it really means. It's like, would it kill you, Bible scholar, to like believe the Bible? You know? They used to say, you know, he ain't, he ain't smoking what he's selling, is what I heard growing up. You know? Um, I've spent so much of my adult life taking classes of some kind. My wife is an incredibly long-suffering person because she's endured me taking so many college classes. This year's been a heck of a year, hasn't it, hon? She's like, hey, are you done now? And I'm like, just just a little more, just a little more. But I'm done for now anyway. If I come in and I look like I've been beat up, it's because I've suggested the idea of getting further education. Um, She's left-handed, so if it's my right eye that is blacked, you'll know. But of all the classes I've ever taken, the most frustrating one I ever took was a Bible class. In a university that was technically a religious-affiliated university. The biggest problem I had with the curriculum was that it viewed the Bible as a book of merely human origins. So they didn't believe in things like prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy and miracles and all of that. And I had such a hard time. My professor, God bless him, he was... I emailed him so many times. I'm like, um, this, <laughs> you ever been around the person who's that, the actually person? Like, um, actually, you know, I was that guy. And uh, he finally, like, um, actually, this is what it's really supposed to be, professor. And he finally said to me, um, look, this is what it is. If you want to pass this class, here's what you got to do. And so I eventually started giving two answers. I said, here's the answer that, you require of me. Now here's the real truth. 
And he was not sad to see me go, and I was not sad to complete that class. I made a good grade in that class, but I probably should have failed it just because I did not agree with the material. Anyway, if you dismiss the reality of the Word, the written Word, you miss the reality of the living Word. These two things go together. The written Word points to the living Word. The living Word, Jesus, is the fulfillment of the written Word. Jesus is the living Word. It's all meant to point to Him. You crack open that Bible, you can find Jesus on every page. It's either explaining how He's going to get here or explaining how He got here and what He's doing now and how we should live in response to that. Okay, number three. Look at that. We're halfway there. Number three out of six. Jesus was in fellowship with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Verse 2 says He was in the beginning with God. Before Jesus existed in a material form, He existed without a material form. He's not. We know Jesus as, it's so funny, like the modern, like, picture of jesus is this guy's always in a white robe which is completely impractical in that land because it was a dirty place dusty place he's uh got he's very caucasian looking that's not accurate um he has like this sort of sandy blonde hair that's always like beach and windblown he looks nice looking hair but i don't think they had like pert plus back then okay he's like really well groomed he, he just looked like a regular guy in truth we know jesus as as this human form but before he was in a human form, he was in an immaterial form, um, not locked into a form. He was in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. You see, God didn't create the universe because he was lonely or bored. God has never been alone. The Scriptures point to the idea that God has existed eternally as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How do we wrap our minds around that? I'll tell you when I figure it out. I guess when I get to heaven, I'll figure it out a little better. But understand, he, he wasn't looking for something to do, but he did want to share the fellowship he already had. The perfect fellowship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We're invited to be a part of that fellowship. That's what's up with humans. It's like, why did God bother? Because he wanted to share that with somebody else. He wanted to expand his family. Just a few verses here if you're writing, taking any notes. John 17, 5. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. John 14, 20. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Number four. Jesus was one with God. It's a big one. I'm sure you've been picking up on a pattern here that Jesus was with God from the beginning, but not just with Him. He was in fellowship with God, but not just in fellowship. He's not just from God. He's not just like God. He's not just blessed by God. He's not just sent by God or chosen by God. Jesus is one with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus is God. Colossians 1.15 says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is a co-equal part of the Trinity with God the Father and God the Son. And we try to explain that. 
Preacher guys like me, we try to explain this concept that we have one God who presents himself to us in these three different these three different parts or or three overlapping parts and it's really hard to explain because this side of heaven it's an overwhelming concept it's not because it's we don't struggle to understand it because it's not true but because it's so true and we just don't have the capacity to absorb it so there's been some attempts to kind of explain it like like water what are the three states of water Liquid, solid, and the gas, you know, water, ice, water vapor, and God's kind of like that, you could say. Or we could say the Trinity is like an egg. You have the shell, you have the yolk, and you have the white, and the three are all part of the same, uh, but you can separate those things, and you can't really separate God, so that falls short. Or my favorite, probably because it's a food illustration, is you could explain the Trinity um, as being kind of like hot cherry pie right out of the oven. Mm, I love that. So if you take a hot cherry pie right out of the oven and you slice it into three equal pieces, the outside seems to be divided into three pieces. The crust, right? But what's going on inside the pie? Because as you slice it into three equals pieces, all the good stuff in the middle is kind of running back together. And you would not be able to tell the difference. On the inside, on the outside, it looks separate. But truly, it is one whole. And that's, I think that one's my favorite. I like cherry pie. It's good stuff. Even that's not quite sufficient. We have one God who shows himself to us in three persons. Why? So as much as possible, we can understand who he is. God's ultimate effort to give us the opportunity to know Him was when He sent His Son Jesus to earth. We couldn't really get to God, so He came to us. He came as a human being, and He walked among us, and He lived among us, and He had the human experience. God became a person and lived among people. He came near. So, our best shot at understanding God is through Jesus. And this concept that Jesus is God in human form, it is such a big deal that it's it's kind of like a litmus test if you know what that is. It's like the it's like one of these deal breaker things. I mean, there's not a ton of deal breaker stuff, but this is a big one, big one, big one right here. 1 John 4 verses 1 through 3, make a note of that. It's not going to be on the screen. 1 John 4 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of antichrist bum 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 which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world boy that's that's blunt language that's very tough that's a very clear line in the sand if you miss or deny that jesus really is god in human form then you are missing 
God altogether. That's a big one, folks. Number five, it's a good one here. Number five thing that uh, truth about Jesus before Bethlehem. Jesus was creating. Verse three says, all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. <clears throat> Some folks have the misunderstanding that Jesus was the, the first thing God created. And that sounds like, oh, thank you. Um, thank you so much. Um, that God was the, uh, that Jesus was the first thing God created. And that sounds flattering, right? Oh, he's number one, but he wasn't number one. Jesus wasn't the first thing God created because he was there for the creation and nothing was made without him, including him. Jesus was not a created being. He was the conduit of creation. Mm. John 1, 3 tells us that all things were made through him. Colossians, you've heard a lot of Colossians references. Go home and read Colossians 1 if you want to kind of like get the other half of this. Colossians 1, 16 reinforces this truth. For by him were all things created. They're in heaven that, and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Before Bethlehem, before his con conception in the womb of Mary, Jesus was active in the creation of all things. He was there. God created the heavens and the earth, but it seems the conduit through which he created, the tool he used to create everything, was the second part of the Trinity, God the Son. This is deep stuff. You like this stuff? It's good stuff. Yeah, I know it's supposed to be a little more lighter on Christmas. Like, oh, yay, shepherds and angels and that's cool. But, man, I like getting way back to the beginning. All right, number six, how many, how many things are on our list? Six truths about Bethlehem, about Jesus before Bethlehem. So that tells you we're at number six, so we're moving right along. Jesus was and is salvation. Verse 4 of John 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus has always been and will always be the light of the world, the wellspring of salvation. Salvation comes by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. But, but, but wait, wait, what about before Jesus came to earth as a human being? What about then? Did the people back then have to follow the Old Testament law? I mean, what was the law for in the first place? If God has given us all these thou shalts and thou shalt nots, wasn't that God's scorecard? I mean, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, for, good, for goodness sake. I mean, that kind of applies a little more to uh, Father God maybe than to Santa Claus. And it's on the matter of being good and bad, I was always told when I was growing up that bad kids got coal in their stocking was that a thing you heard like coal and switches um have you seen the price of energy today of heating your home james brady and i have decided that next year we're going to be as bad as we possibly can and we're going to switch over to coal burning furnace in our homes and we're going to be as bad as we can and i'd say james i think we can do it i think we heat our home next year all right Debbie, our, our wives are saying, no, don't be, you're bad enough, boys. Let me tell you, most people think that 
God has a naughty list and a nice list. Here's the incredibly unflattering thing about humanity. God's standard is perfection. The nice list has one name on it. And it ain't yours. Jesus is the only one who makes the nice list. We can't earn our way onto the nice list. The only thing we can do is trust in the grace of God that comes through faith in Jesus. That's all we can do. And that was true in the Old Testament as well. They say, well, Jesus hadn't showed up yet. That's true. But they had the prophecies and they had the promises. The grace of God is evident from the beginning. Salvation by grace is there from the very first sin. Look in Genesis 3. There is the promise that one day someone was coming to crush the head of the serpent who is Satan. And faith has always been in the promises of God. We look back at Jesus who came to earth. And that's where our faith lies. They looked forward to the extent that they could understand to Jesus arriving. And that's where their faith was. It's always been Jesus. It's always been faith. For thousands of years, God made promises that a Savior would arrive. And then He arrived. And now we look back at the arrival. So here we are. We've got these six. Six truths about Jesus before Bethlehem. Jesus was preexistent. Jesus was God's ultimate message. Jesus was in fellowship with God. Jesus was one with God. Jesus was creating. Jesus was salvation. And we could say He was, He is, He is to come. It's all still true. T'was the night before Christmas, and there in the stable, Father God would soon send us the one who is able to forgive us, redeem us, and set us all free, the Savior who decorated Calvary's tree. When the time was right, God sent His Son to earth in human form to bring us the message of redemption, to give Himself for our salvation and what we celebrate this time of year in the midst of all the other fun trappings of Christmas, we celebrate the arrival of a Savior. But long before then, long before Bethlehem, before His conception in the womb of Mary, long before what we would call the beginning of the universe, Jesus was there. And when all of this is said and done, when everything we know is gone, Jesus will be there. So I don't know where you've got your trust. But unless it's in Jesus, whatever thing you're trusting in is going away. And you don't know when. It's going to go away eventually, though. So my question for you is, aren't you ready to trust in something that lasts Trust in someone who was there before the beginning, who will be there after the end, and will be with you every single step of the way. Because you trust in stuff in this world. Man, money has a, has a way of sprouting wings and flying away. Things like houses and cars, they burn up, they break. Even things that we feel are more permanent, like family bonds, that seem to be forever, even those things can be disrupted. We can't trust in our own bodies because they're breaking down. We can't trust in our own minds because they just won't last. We can trust in Jesus. So what's your story? If you haven't trusted in Him, do it today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. 
Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Jesus, in whose name, whose name we pray and whose name we praise. I want to pray for anybody in this room, anyone listening to this message who has never put their trust in Jesus, who's maybe believed that it's true, but has never received him and let him transform their life. God, I pray for anybody like that, that they would trust in Jesus today, that they would confess their sins and ask Jesus to be their Savior and their Lord. I want to pray for the people who have done that, that we would live like, like we know Jesus and would set an example in this world and spread his love and goodness and joy and the message of the Savior who has come. Lord, thank you for the Christmas season and for Jesus, who is the reason. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all. And all a good afternoon, I guess. Uh, and a good night. I hope you have such a blessed, blessed week. Thank you for being here, part of this. I hope, uh, I hope this year's a little extra special, okay? I don't know how it is in everybody's house. Maybe, maybe this is the year like you could afford Christmas. Or the year that you don't know how you're going to afford Christmas or whatever. Man, there's so much good. There's so much blessing. Thank you all for being so good to me and my family and your kindness. And whoever organized the thing on the table over here, God bless you, okay? Thank you all so much for, for being good to me and, and my family. We've, we do not feel remotely worthy, but we feel awfully loved. God bless you all. I hope you have a great week. Merry Christmas to you and yours. We'll see you.